think Oksana and Mal conspired uh, to see if they could uh, get me on stage with a lump in my throat <laughs> and be unable to preach. Um, they were almost successful. Um, my name is Winston Coulthard. I'm the ministry resident at Woodbine. Um, I love this church and it is an honor uh, to share God's word with you this morning. Um, we've just gone through a, a series. Oh, I'm talking in this. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Greg. <laughs> Do I need to start from the beginning? <laughs> okay. Good times. So we're starting a new series. We had a great time in the book of Mark looking at Jesus' life. Oh, this sounds better. I can, I can hear myself. Um, and uh, culminating, of course, in his glorious resurrection that, that, that uh, Doug preached about so well last week. Um, and now we're moving on to a series on, on gospel proclamation, gospel conversations. Um, and for this series, uh, we're going to do uh, a little fun thing. So if, if you would like to get additional resources... Um, to motivate and inform you for gospel conversations, you can text the word gospel uh, to this number, 615-570-3506. Um, they're not going to use your number for anything. They're just going to send you three texts a week for the next five weeks for the course of this series um, that will just provide you with information um, about having a gospel conversation. Um, and so we're we, we starting this series, and, and we're going to be in the book of Acts for it, which is, which is super exciting. Um, we've got two scriptures we, uh, we're going to read today. Um, the first is Acts 1.8, and the second is Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 36. Um, let me start with, with Acts 1.8. Oh, if you w wouldn't mind standing. Sorry. It's all out of order today. <laughs> but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. This is Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, speaking. Is that me making that noise? Sorry. Um, should I use a microphone or it's it's good. Sorry. Okay. Um, this is the resurrected Jesus speaking to his disciples just before he ascends up to heaven. Um, I'm gonna leave this here because I don't know if I can. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, and, and Acts 1.8 is both a, a command and a promise. It's primarily a, command, a, a promise, right? The promise is that um, the Holy Spirit will descend on the disciples with power. The promise is that they will be his witnesses. But implicit in this promise is a command. In order for this promise to be fulfilled... The disciples have to respond with obedience. 
They have to be witnesses. And so we turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 36, because this is the first time we see them responding in obedience. At, on the day of Pentecost, uh, Peter stands up and he preaches a sermon, and we are going to read part of it, uh, starting in verse 22. Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. Though he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge, you used lawless men to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. For David says of him, I saw the Lord ever before me, because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope because you will not abandon me in Hades or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. Brothers and sisters, I can confidently speak to you about the patriarch David. He is both dead and buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Since he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn an oath to him to seat one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke concerning the resurrection of the Messiah. He was not abandoned in Hades, and his flesh did not experience decay. God raised up this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Therefore, since he has been exalted to the right hand of God and has received from the Father, the promised Holy Spirit, he has poured out what you are both seeing and hearing. For it was not David who ascended into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord declared to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Father God, I thank you for these powerful, powerful words. Jesus, I thank you that you are alive. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you live in us and move through us. Pray that you would move through the words that I speak today. Amen, Lord Jesus. Amen. So we said that Acts chapter 22, uh, Acts chapter 2 is the fulfillment of the promise, is the first fulfillment of the promise Jesus gives to his disciples in Acts 1.8. The promise that they will have the Holy Spirit and they will be witnesses. And as we consider gospel conversations this morning, I think there are a, a number of interesting observations we can make from looking at this text. I'll mention four. Number one, Peter bore witness by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Number two, he bore witness to Jesus as a real person. Number three, he let Scripture bear witness to Jesus. And finally, he bore witness to the Lord and Messiah in front of some pretty wicked people. And, and from these four observations, we can draw four applications for how we live out our lives with unbelievers and how we share the hope of the gospel with them. So let's, let's look at these, these four points. Point one, bear witness by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's hard to state how courageous Peter's sermon that he preaches here is. Um, after Jesus commissions the, the, uh, his disciples in Acts 1.8, they um, do a bunch of things. They, they, they go up into a small room and they all huddle together. Um, and then the Holy Spirit descends on them and they start uh, speaking in various tongues and languages. Um, and there are people in Jerusalem from all around the world um, who have come to worship. And they proclaim the gospel to them. Each, each person is hearing it in their own tongue. Um, and of course, they're astounded. They're startled. Um, but they also start to mock them, start to ridicule them, start to accuse them of being drunkards. Um, And, and so it's in this context of mockery, uh, of shaming, that, Jesus, uh, that Peter stands up to bear witness to Jesus. Now you think, well, this is fairly characteristic of Peter. I mean, he's quite a bold guy. He, he, he wasn't shy of a, of a challenge. You know, this is just sort of Peter in his, in his natural state. Not so. Not so. When was the last time... Peter interacted with an unbeliever. It was the night before Jesus was betrayed. Betrayed by Judas, yes, but also betrayed by Peter himself. He was asked by a servant girl, uh, of all people, if he had any association with Jesus. And, and he went to great lengths, in fact, on three occasions to disassociate himself with Jesus. And, and yet here, in front of thousands of mockers, people making fun of the believers, he stands up and that very same Peter who denied Jesus three times proclaims him with incredible boldness. Well, what's the difference? Peter now had the Holy Spirit. The Peter that would shrink away, that, that would so readily de uh, deny his Savior, now stands up seemingly fearless. A and perhaps you feel a little bit like Peter before Pentecost. Um, perhaps you have no real difficulty in... Uh, Aligning yourself to Jesus when you're with Jesus and when you're with people who love Jesus. You can, you can say, I'm a Christian and I don't care who knows it or whatever. 
Um, but the moment you step into a room of people who think Christians are a little bit weird, um, or, or the gospel is just a little bit outdated, you find yourself shrinking back. And at best, you say nothing at all. And at worst, through your body language or even through your words, you imply that you don't know this Jesus. Well, if this is true of you, you know that this needs to change. But how? How is it going to change? You could wake up in the morning and uh, you could say, um, you know, give yourself a good, good, good look at in the mirror um, and say, well, today is the day I'm going to be different. Today I am just going to boldly proclaim to those unbelievers out there, come on, I can do this. And you really just psych yourself up. Um, well, that's one way of, of trying it, but it's, it's not likely uh, to last for long. The difference between Peter before Pentecost and Peter after Pentecost was not that he had just, uh, just had a visit with a self-help uh, coach or, or, or something like that. Um, the difference between this man was that now he had the Holy Spirit. Um, he was like Doug's dad's VW Beetle that he shared with us last week. Um, his dad, for those of you who weren't here, put a Porsche engine in a VW Beetle. Um, and so Peter, like this car, had the same outward shell, but inside him he had a power that he never had before. And so if you want to have boldness in sharing your faith, Pray to God that the, the Spirit would fill you, that, that would, it would, He would work through you, and that you would lean on His power and not your own. It's like musical chairs here this morning. I'm trying to work out everything. You guys are so gracious. The key behind the power of Peter was that he had the Holy Spirit. If you want to witness with power, pray that the Holy Spirit would work in your life. Uh, point two, bear witness to Jesus as a real person. Uh, Peter goes in, to great lengths in this text um, to show that, that Jesus was a real person. If you look in verse 22, this Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him. The things that Jesus did are not parables. They are things that happened in history. Is it not a fascinating thing that there are many stories from all four Gospels of people who thought that Jesus had a demon? Now, if the Gospel writers were making these stories up, if they were fabricating these stories, then why on earth 
would they include these details? Why on earth would they choose to say that Jesus had a demon? That would make no sense at all. No, it must be that Jesus was walking around Galilee in the first century, doing things that people couldn't explain any other way than to say, this man must be demon-possessed, because clearly what he is doing here is supernatural. So either uh, it's God at work through him, or it is the devil. And they didn't want to admit the former, and so they concluded the latter. But God used these signs to attest that this man was the Messiah. Jesus' signs happened in history. Jesus' death happened in history. The crowds who Peter was preaching to would have known this because they were the ones who killed him. Jesus died a literal death. And yet it was not possible for the grave to hold him. And so on the third day, God raised him up from the death, literally brought his literal body back to life again. And in verse 32, uh, Peter says, we, are, we were all witnesses of this. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that 500 people saw the resurrected Jesus. And so there's a good chance that a number of the people in the crowd who Peter was preaching to had actually seen the resurrected Jesus. Um, for those who didn't, however, there's a way in which they also witnessed Jesus' resurrection. Why? Because they were in Jerusalem within weeks of Jesus' crucifixion. It would have been the easiest thing in the world to refute the claim that Jesus had raised from the dead. Simply go to the tomb, retrieve his body, display it for all the world to see. And, and the, the, the legs of the chair behind the claim that Jesus has been raised from the dead is completely pulled away. It would have been a very simple thing to provide evidence that Jesus had not been resurrected. And yet no such evidence was ever brought forth. If it had been, 3,000 people would not have put their faith in Jesus that day. I love that we're reading the book of Acts. In the wake of, of the, the, what some might call the Easter season, uh, in wake of Resurrection Sunday, I should say, um, because there is no better proof out there that Jesus has been raised from the dead than the book of Acts. It starts out with a group of believers with no influence, no authority, no political po uh, uh, power or influence in, in any way, um, huddled together in a room, terrified. Um, and it ends uh, with the gospel going out, being proclaimed to the ends of the earth, the, the ones who proclaim it being thrown into prison, being beaten, being flogged, having their lives taken away from them. 
and all these events are inexplicable if Jesus has not been raised from the dead and they have not encountered him. Peter bore witness to Jesus as a real person. And we need to do the same. Uh, Point three, bear witness to Jesus from all Scripture. So Peter cracks open Psalm 16, which reads, I saw the Lord ever before me, starting in verse 25. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. Moreover, my flesh will rest in hope. Because you will not abandon me in Hades, or allow your Holy One to see decay. You have revealed the paths of life to me. You will fill me with gladness in your presence. What a great psalm. What a wonderful psalm. But the moment Peter gets done quoting it, he says, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. The guy who wrote the psalm is pushing up daisies. David is dead. He's dead as a doornail. There is his tomb right over there. We all know that David is dead. And so what's all this talk about you will not let your Holy One see decay? You will not abandon me to to Hades or to the grave. Uh, Peter persuasively argues here that this psalm cannot primarily be about David. It's about someone greater. And in fact, the more you read the Old Testament, and I would encourage you to do so, the the more you realize how it is yearning for the Messiah to come. It is not a complete book. Jesus on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24 It says he explained to his disciples from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It's not just this little bit of the Bible that talks about Jesus. All of scripture bears witness to the Messiah if it is read rightly. And so the encouragement from this is that you would allow the Old Testament to open your eyes to who Jesus is and that you would use all of Scripture to proclaim the the gospel to the people the Lord puts in your life. Fourth and finally, bear witness to the Lord and Messiah with everybody. Peter wraps up this address in... in, in, um, Verse 36, um, by saying, therefore, uh, since, uh, sorry, verse 36, therefore let all the house of Israel know with certainty that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. That is the whole point of everything he's been sharing. In fact, that is the point of Pentecost. That's the point of the Bible. That is the point of all human history. It is that men and women would come to know that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. And what is striking about this is 
Peter proclaims this message before one of the most villainous generations that has ever existed. The very people who were standing before him were the same people who dragged our Lord in front of Pontius Pilate and who cried out, crucify him, crucify him. And Pilate, wrangling, trying to get Barabbas convicted instead of Jesus, ends up giving in to their pleas, but he washes his hands and says, I am not responsible for this. And the people who Peter was preaching to that day fully affirm Pilate in that. And in Matthew chapter 25, verse 27, they cry out, Let his blood be on our heads and on our children. These were the people who knowingly, deliberately, intentionally tortured Jesus and had him nailed to a cross. These were murderers, liars, wicked, wicked men. And yet Peter evidently thought that there was some hope that they might be saved. And when you move out into the world, you realize how broken it is. Um, and uh, th there must be people in your lives who you just think are, are beyond redemption. Um, well, what's the point of sharing the gospel with them? Because they hate God. And honestly, they hate most people. Um, and they're so prideful, and they're so set in their ways, and they, they think they know it all. And I've tried in the past, but it never really got anywhere. Um, I'm, I'm just going to give up on them. Maybe I'll be nice to them, but I, I'm not, I'm not going to try sharing the gospel with them. They, they can't be saved. Well, if anyone had any right for thinking that, it would have been Peter on the day of Pentecost. But he knew that it was not his words, it was not his power that would bring repentance and salvation to the people he was proclaiming the gospel to. And so we need to move out with this glorious gospel of hope. And we need to proclaim it in front of all people. Brothers and sisters, how will you live in obedience to the promise to be Jesus' witnesses this week? Father God, I thank you that you have not abandoned us. You have not left us to serve you in our own strength, in our own power, but you have given us the Holy Spirit. And I pray that fully relying on him as Peter did, we would bear witness 
to the real Jesus from all Scripture to all people we come into contact with this week. Stir in our hearts, I pray. Amen.